Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. In this episode, we're talking about John Bolton. He is the National Security Advisor to Donald Trump. He is an ex-commentator on Fox News. He is a larger-than-life character in many, many ways. He scared the hell out of half Americans probably when it was announced that he'd even be in that role, especially, and the rest of the world, by the way, because this guy's in charge of, as I just said, national security, and he's openly fought many wars in the past as well. Well, this is an article that I came across in the New Yorker magazine uh, by Dexter Filkins a couple of months ago. And the argument here is this unusual situation that we have Donald Trump, who's described as erratic, impulsive and largely ignorant of foreign affairs and has promised since the start of his presidency to scale back America's foreign commitments and to cut his expenses. But at the same time, he has appointed John Bolton as his national security advisor. And John Bolton is someone who, as you say, keeps putting America into wars. This is a guy who's been hanging around Washington in one capacity or another for a few decades. He's very distinctive because of that Woolworths moustache of his. Mm. That's almost part of his branding. Mm. So what is interesting is that Trump, in running for the presidency three years ago, promised that he wouldn't get involved in foreign wars and, to his credit, has largely honoured that promise, right? The, The wars that he's involved in are the legacies that he's acquired from Bush and Obama. So he hasn't expanded wars elsewhere. Now his most recent appointment in the national security area is with this guy John Bolton. This took us all by surprise because John Bolton is completely different or or quite different from Trump. So Trump wants to make America great again and wants to do that through being an isolationist. So isolationism, cutting yourself off militarily from the rest of the world is the longest continuous theme in American foreign policy. It goes all the way back to George Washington, the first president. Keep out of Europe. They're all mad over there, right? So that's your, this long strand. John Bolton comes out of, of what is called the neoconservative background. So he's someone who doesn't like international organisations, which obviously puts him on a par with Trump, but believes that America does have a role in foreign affairs. You just don't work with anybody else. Everybody else better just listen to you. And so the neoconservative tradition is a newer tradition in American foreign policy. So this consists of people who take the view that America should exert its role in the world but not worry about allies or anything like that, certainly not the United Nations or other international agreements or trade agreements, etc. Break them all and you just put America first. So it's an interesting combination that we have Trump, who doesn't want to get involved in in additional wars, with Bolton, who, for example, has been critical of Iran for decades. Remember, the the dispute between the United States and Iran goes back 40 years, exactly 40 years, 1979. And so for much of that time when Bolton has been involved in foreign affairs, he's been very critical of Iran and calling for a war with Iran. And there are a lot of people in the foreign policy community who are saying, we don't understand what this fixation is with Iran. The problems for the United States are China and Russia. They're the two big challenges. And then you have a bit of a problem with Islamic terrorism. But behind closed doors, we all know that's not really a major issue. But it's the media love Mm, terrorism. So for their sake, we get involved in foreign wars. But the really big problems for American foreign policy are China and Russia, not Iran. 
And it's interesting you say that because we've just seen a huge shift since Trump came to power with regard to Iran because Obama's administration had managed to deal with Iran mm. in, in a certain way, which is very diplomatic and had a better outcome than previous governments, and it's all been turned on its head. Exactly. Tell us about this. Yeah, so one of the achievements of the Obama administration in foreign policy was the negotiation of an agreement with Iran that Iran would not continue with its work on nuclear weapons uh, or any sort of nuclear research, and that as a consequence, sanctions would be lifted so that countries could go back to trading with Iran, which from an Australian point of view, for example, means that if you're running a tour company, you can start taking tourists back to Iran. So that's what it means as a local impact here in this country. This was an agreement involving the UN Security Council. So that's the United States, Russia, China, Britain and France, plus Germany on one side and Iran is on the other. So the United States then had the agreement and, and it was being honoured and the Iranians were used again to making money out of the sale of their oil on the international market and welcoming foreign tourists and all the rest of it. It's a great country to visit. And then suddenly Donald Trump says this is the worst agreement that's ever been negotiated. You know what he's like when it comes to use of rhetoric. And so he then unilaterally withdraws the United States from this. He's heavily criticised by Russia and China The French and the British would have been critical, but in a more polite way. Iran, in the current state of play, is saying to those other countries, if you want to have the agreement honoured by us, then you've got to continue with that agreement. Otherwise, we will start to resume our work on nuclear matters. Which is fair enough, really. Absolutely. (laughs) uh, Now, Donald Trump's argument is that the agreement which covers nuclear weapons didn't cover the issue of Iran's support for terrorist movements like Hezbollah, the Shia terrorist movements. But then it wasn't designed to. But why would Americans care about that in the first place? Well, Trump has made them care because you know Trump's great ability as a communicator mm. is to focus on something. And make it their problem. Make it their problem, <laughs> yeah. So we now have a, a situation where in the next few weeks that agreement could fall over entirely. You've got a people in Iran who were suspicious of the agreement in the first place because they've got their own view of the world. So they were really not willing to do a deal with the great Satan, but they had a moderate president. Remember, the president in Iran doesn't run the country. Mm. It's the Grand Ayatollah. And the Grand Ayatollah said, well, look, let's give the, this guy a go, see what he can achieve, negotiated the deal with the Obama administration, and it looked as though it was going to be a success. Trump comes along and then cancels the agreement. And, well, it's part of that undoing of all Obama's legacies as well, Oh, exactly. Yes, that's part of the wider agenda. Everything that Obama achieved, he's out to destroy. So in terms of John Bolton's role in this, and just quickly to say as well, going against Iran, you've had Mike Pompeo as well, who's the Secretary of State, coming out as well very highly critically and publicly critical of Iran, you'd think, to gain PR points with the American people, try and get them on side in the last couple of days. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, key, the key role uh, with John Bolton is that he is super bright. He's the most unusual member of the Trump administration because uh, he comes from a poor working-class background, got into Yale, which is an elite university, through his hard effort, but was never happy there because obviously Yaleys, as they're called... Elites. Elite. <laughs> Looking down this, on poor exa- John this Bolton. working class kid. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to Yale Law School, another great achievement, 
Then he goes to work for a very big firm. And yet he has, this, well, he's got this grudge against the elite. But also, for me, it's you know, this obsession that he's got with certain things, like, for example, urging Bush to go to war in 2003 against Iraq for, for the wrong reasons, you know, the weapons of mass destruction, which simply didn't exist. And the person who was the UN official who was trying to warn the rest of the world there are no weapons of mass destruction, the Americans got him sacked from the UN. At the time? Yeah. So then how will they ever justify going to war with Iran if that's what he's angling at? Well, this is this is his problem because there are a lot of people who are saying, look, we've heard all this before, not least from the same individual, in regard to Iraq. Do we want to get involved with Iran? Now, Iraq has 25 million people. Iran has over 80 million. You're dealing with a very different type of, of country. Do you really want to go to war with them? And part of the problem within the White House is that they're not sure really what they're about. Trump is saying we've got to get rid of the nuclear agreement. So it's quite a limited agenda. Bolton wants regime change. So Bolton has been associated with Iranian extremists who want to overthrow the regime. So you have regime change. So Bolton and Trump make an unusual couple. You know, they they have very different social background, clearly different financial background, although Bolton, to his credit, has become a millionaire, not least because of his work on Fox TV. Well, I was about to say, surely as a someone who takes pride in his ability to manipulate an audience and as a performer, he would love the fact that John Bolton was a conservative commentator. Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's, and that's how Trump got to know about him, because he used to watch him on Fox. Mm. And so, oh, yes, so there is that element of connection between them. But the article, you know, just says it's a bit of a mystery. As, um, at the same time, why would Bolton, who is super bright, want to go to work for Trump, who's not terribly bright, particularly in foreign affairs? Or interested, by the way, is or, he? Yeah. Now, and, of course, the great worry for John Bolton, according to this article, is that there may well, right out of the blue, come a letter from the Grand Ayatollah, or more likely the Iranian president, saying to Donald Trump, why don't we meet and talk about things? Which is exactly what happened with North Korea, remember? The North Korean leader, Kim, wrote to Donald Trump. Now, North Korean leaders have been seeking a meeting with US presidents for 20-odd years, and all those presidents have been saying, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Trump was the one who said, yes, I'm happy to meet with him because, of course, it's an element of colour and pageantry, drama. This all appeals to Trump. And so the fear for John Bolton... Mass coverage. <laughs> exactly. You, you, you get this... There's rolling coverage when they met around the yeah, world. Yeah, exactly. And so the same thing could happen with John Bolton. He'd be undermined by Trump saying, yes, I want to meet with the uh, Iranian president. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. In this episode today, we're talking about Iran, or more specifically John Bolton, who is the National Security Advisor to Donald Trump and his hatred of Iran. But he he's also been a proponent of other wars, as we were saying. You know, 2003, the war with Iraq, Iraq yep. the unnecessary weapons of mass destruction. I mean, the guy is spoiling for a fight and he gets quite fixated on things. But he's also, as you were saying, highly, highly intelligent. So why why is he working for Trump? We have covered that, and we also think that Trump is probably a bit of a, a fan, a fan of his after many years as this yeah. guy was a commentator on Fox. But let's just talk about that point for a moment about Iran meeting with America. That is something that could end up happening. Do you think 
Do you think Trump would be interested in that? And do you think that that would change the way he views Iran? Absolutely. If you go back to, again, the North Korean experience, right? Trump was very critical of the North Korean leader, little rocket man, etc. cetera. Uh, then he has this meeting and suddenly the narrative changes and the North Korean leader is brought out from the cold, is brought into the warmth of international community uh, because it appealed to Trump's sense of drama. Remember, this is a guy who made his name in television. Previous to that as a failed real estate developer, but <laughs> TV was the making of Donald Trump mm. as we've looked at in this series. And so a similar thing could occur with Iran. Now, this article by Dexter Filkins in The New Yorker, John Bolton on the Warpath, does not go into this very much, but it's one of the things that attracted me to the article, simply this speculation. Because remember, Trump is the great disruptor. He does things differently. And the idea of having a meeting with the Iranian president, whom he's been bad-mouthing for three years, well, he could very easily see it as a way of being able to say to his uh, uh, supporters, look, I'm trying to avoid a war with Iran. Trump clearly does not want to have another war. Trump has honoured his word that he's not going to get involved in foreign wars. The wars that he's involved in are ones that he's inherited from Bush and Obama. They're very expensive. They are expensive. Some people make a lot of money out of war, including, of course, the media. The media love wars. (laughs) But the people who vote for Donald Trump are the military and veterans, and they are sick of America's involvement in foreign wars. Right, so the war in Afghanistan now is now into its 18th year. It's the longest war in American history. And the Taliban still control half the country. And if anything, the Americans are losing. Mm. No American president can afford to lose a war. And so Obama kept the war ticking over because he didn't want to get a reputation for losing a war. So he squandered American lives for his own prestige. And now it's been handed over to Trump as a poison chalice. And he's doing the same. And he's doing the same. And so the veterans and the military, who are Trump's supporters, generally speaking, are just suffering from combat fatigue. They, they can see they get involved in these foreign wars and actually have very little to show for it. America is no longer winning wars. It's actually very difficult to win a guerrilla struggle. The British were able to do that in Malaya. They were there for the long haul. It was a British colony. They were there looking after British finances. So that's why they stayed in Malaya to beat the communist terrorists. So you can win a guerrilla war, but it requires a lot of effort. And And as you said, they're not willing to put that effort in, sure. And they're not willing to put that effort in, exactly. And especially not in a country like Afghanistan where no one has won a war against them anyway. (laughs) No, not since Alexander the Great. (laughs) (laughs) It's the graveyard of empires, which is why a number of us have been critical of Britain's involvement in Afghanistan because Britain's been beaten twice or three times in Afghanistan. In some cases, it's the grandchildren of of the veterans of previous failures who are now in their regiments getting involved in Afghanistan. It, It just doesn't make sense. So Trump, to give him credit, realizes that the American war machine is a fairly blunt machine, unless you're going to deal with Russia and China. That's what the conventional war would be about, right? But if you're fighting a guerrilla struggle then it's actually very difficult to win that. A well-organised, well-motivated group fighting on their own terrain are very difficult to beat. And that's the lesson since World War II. Or World War I, if you go back to Lawrence of Arabia, who reinvented guerrilla warfare, it was the cheapest military campaign the British have ever operated. They gave him a chest of gold coins and told him to mobilise the Arabs. And he did that. 
and run a, won a brilliant campaign, although, as he himself said, it was a sideshow of a sideshow. Mm. But nonetheless, it was a re- brilliant campaign. And his book on guerrilla warfare is still being read by American soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. So he wrote the textbook for fighting guerrilla warfare. But it requires a different type of mindset. Field Marshal Sir Gerald Templer, my Field Marshal, coined the phrase winning the hearts and minds of people. So it means that this form of warfare is not just a question of tanks and aircraft. It's a question of, uh, of being able to introduce economic and social reforms, etc. So it's a very sophisticated thing. In fact, I think you need to have more anthropologists on your staff to just try to find out you know, more about the local population. So Trump, to his credit... He's trying to keep out of foreign wars. But then he goes and appoints John Bolton as his national security advisor. Now, the previous one who worked for Trump was General Mattis, who basically used to ignore Trump. Trump Trump had all sorts of ideas about getting expanding in the war in Syria, which is one he'd inherited from Obama. And General Mattis had his own agenda and just simply refused to implement Trump's instructions, which is why Trump felt it necessary ultimately to remove Mattis <laughs> and replace him with Bolton. Oh, my God. But he's got in Bolton someone who is much more aggressive than General Mattis and may yet get America into war, particularly at the moment with the showdown in the Iranian Gulf. So it's a very worrying situation. Trump, when he is now uh, running for re-election and will want to do it, be able to say, look, I did not create any more new wars. I inherited them. Failed wars from uh, Bush and Obama. I haven't created any new ones, but that may change under John Bolton. Watch this space. Absolutely. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.